Good morning. I hope that you are as terrified as I am. (laughs) Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. That's going to be the Pew Bible, uh, page 942. If you don't have one, there should be one in front of you, uh, in the rack of the chair ahead of you. So while you're turning there, I'll give you kind of a rundown of what has happened leading up to Hebrews chapter 4 so that we get a good understanding. See, God has throughout history promised and provided rest for his people. He himself rested after creation, and since then he has promised rest for his people. The rest is a reprieve from work, essentially a coming into the arms of a beloved parent and being safe. And as I thought about the message this morning, I actually am going to use Kate, my daughter, as an example. She is four, and if you have ever had a four-year-old terrorist in your home, you understand (laughs) what I'm about to say to you. As a father, I am well aware of when she is tired, because when she is tired, she gets cranky and manipulative. I love her to death, but almost to that point. (laughs) And I recognize looking at her you're tired. And oftentimes we'll make eye contact with a grandparent or with Amber and we say, she's tired. And much like you would expect, her response is, I'm not tired. Nope. Nap is a a filthy word. Bedtime is horrendous uh, because she's tired and she refuses to admit it. I present to you this morning, that's us. We're tired, and some of us won't admit it. And we have a history of ignoring and missing the rest that God is capable of giving to us. And so before we get into Hebrews chapter 3, understand, no, Hebrews chapter 4, understand what's happening in Hebrews chapter 3. It is the story, again, of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I was talking with Todd this morning that I don't know what God is trying to tell me, but every time I preach to you, it involves the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. So I don't know what's about to happen to me, or I don't know, but every time I preach, it involves these same Israelites wandering around. And if you remember, the journey that they took took 40 years And the distance from where they started to where they were going was an 11-day journey. It took them 40 years to make an 11-day trek because of disobedience and disbelief that God would do what he said he would do. And it ends with this phrase, So we see they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. What were they unable to enter? They were unable to enter into the promised land that they were journeying for. God had promised them a rest for the end of their journey. And they were promised. And some of them were unable to enter because of their unbelief. The most prominent example I can think of is Moses. And if you read Hebrews chapter 3, you get a pretty good feel for Moses. That he's faithful and he uh, he led the house of the Lord faithfully. But I just picture Moses standing on the mountaintop looking into the promised land. And if you remember correctly, Moses was not allowed to enter 
into the promised land because he failed to believe God and failed to obey God when he struck the rock when he was only supposed to speak to it. And as a result of it, God said, you will not enter into my rest. Those are harsh words said to a man who is called faithful. But God said to Moses, you will not enter into my rest. And this imagery I get is just Moses standing there looking into the promised land. And the agony and the despair that had to be going through his heart and his mind to know he will never enter the land. I'm telling you, if I walked for 40 years and I didn't get to go in, there would be anger, there would be despair. Tragic. Moses was unable to enter into the rest that God had promised. But that is not the end of the story. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read the whole text, and then we'll go back and break it down together. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today. Saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these next few minutes that you would set me aside. That your word would teach itself. And that you would cause us to come to an understanding of what you have for us this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that we follow you. God, we've worshipped in song. God, help us now to worship you through the hearing of your word. Help us to understand. Open the eyes this morning. Open the ears so that your words can shout where they need to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's go back through the text and, and try to rightly divide what is being said here. And I will tell you, uh, I had this opinion already 
but I listened to John Piper talk about Hebrews 4 last night, and he said it is the most difficult passage he has ever preached. So I'm no John Piper, so you can imagine how hard this is for me. That God laid this before me, and I argued with him. So today, God won the battle. So hear him clearly. Verse 1 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The word fear, while sometimes makes us nervous, I want to I highlight that here. If you're here using an ESV Bible or an RSV Bible or uh, any kind of Reformed Bible, your, your scripture says fear. If you're here this morning with an NIV Bible, your scripture says, let us be careful. Now, I'm not one to discriminate against translations, but I am telling you, the NIV missed it in this regard. Being careful is not what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says, let us fear, lest any of you should miss and fail to reach it. There should be fear. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But it also appears from this first passage that the rest that the Israelites had in the promised land was not the ultimate rest that God was speaking of when he promised rest to them. He tells that the promise of entering the rest still stands. So we ought to be fearful that we, or those that we love, might miss it. Let that resonate in you. Do you fear this morning that you will miss the rest God has provided? See, the Israelites were promised rest. And they got a version of rest. Some of them. The unbelieving generation had to die. Had to take a long time to kill off a generation. And I can imagine being the last guy who hasn't died yet. All these people just kind of tapping their feet. Like, all right, we can go in the promised land. You just got to go. You just got to go. Imagine that, being that guy. But that generation had to die. And they went in. And they did experience some rest. It was the land of milk and of honey. And that doesn't mean a lot to us in this time, but to them, that was provision for everything. And they went in, and I'm sure they kicked their feet up, and they rested from their 40 years of wandering around. But they did not experience the true rest yet. Let's keep going. It says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. If you're anything like me, when you read this passage, it's a little confusing. Because how in the world did the good news come to them in the same way that it came to us? Well, one way that that happened is through types and shadows of Christ. An explanation of sacrifice, an explanation of what it took to forgive sins. But I want to assert to you this morning, they had the gospel. Hear the words of Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means, he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children and to the third and the fourth generation. These Israelites possessed the good news that there was a God who was willing to forgive sin and who was not willing to tolerate piety and ignorance and unbelief. He was unwilling to clear them. They had the good news. And they were walking around with the man who wrote it down. They were wandering in the wilderness with Moses himself. They had good news. They knew that there was forgiveness. And they knew there would be an end to their journey. They were promised rest, and they got some rest. But they're given so much more. And I've heard it before, I heard it even again this morning, that the Old Testament and the New Testament say different things. The truth of the matter, friends, is that the Old Testament spends its entire time pointing to the coming of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus. The New Testament spends all of its time pointing back to the coming of his birth, his life, and his death, and his resurrection, and points forward to his coming again. So all of Scripture is united, and it lifts up Christ as the banner, all of Scripture. They had the law, which doing the law did not lead to righteousness But there was a God who would forgive and would provide a way for righteousness. These people were in the presence of God's people. And they were experiencing the blessings and the miracles from God. They were recipients of the blessing of God. Let that soak in. They saw everything that God did. They experienced protection. They crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. They witnessed the plagues. They witnessed all of the hand of God leading them through the wilderness. But some of them still failed to enter into the rest. They were not united in faith with their brothers who did listen. There was unrest. They had the good news and did nothing with it. Let's keep going in our text. For we who have believed enter that rest As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. We see here that God's work has been completed since before the very foundation of the world, but praise God, he didn't just stop there. His work is finished, and he demonstrated rest for us. And I love how the writer of Hebrews says this next phrase. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Verse 4 says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. I love that because I recognize Scripture is not sarcastic. There's not a theme of sarcasm. But I just love that, I don't know, somewhere it says God you know, rested on the seventh day. I, I love that. But the reality is, is that the Scripture was not 
broken into chapters and verses like we have it. So it's not as though he could have said, Genesis 1 says. That wasn't, the, that wasn't the case. I think he avoids that to get to the point. He, he just drives right to the point. That even God himself demonstrated rest for us. And here's the most important part, verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Therefore, there is still those who have opportunity. So I'm going to speak directly to a a crowd of people here this morning that if you will admit to yourself, I don't want you to admit it to me, but I want you to admit it to your neighbor. Just admit to yourself. If you are here this morning, having never believed in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead and have never confessed him with your mouth as Lord, you are here without rest. There is no rest in your life. There's no peace. Because peace only comes from Jesus Christ because he is peace. Your life might not be horrible. Things might be okay. And on the weekends, you might get to go home and kick your feet up in your recliner. But I guarantee you there is no rest. You work. And you work. And you work, and you toil, and you know what happens next? You die. I'm serious. You work, you work, and then you die. No rest, no peace. The scripture is very clear that at that point, torment begins for eternity. There have been those who have joked that it's going to be a party in hell with my friends. And we're going to kick back and we're going to play around and do all the things we couldn't do here. Friends, I tell you, if you believe that, that is a lie straight from the place that you're going, if you believe that. Hell is a place of torment, of no rest, and I don't want you to take my words for it. Turn over to Luke chapter 16. If you're using the Pew Bible, it is verse 8, or it's page 823. wind feels good off your pages. Friends, the scripture is clear. There is no rest apart from Christ. Let's read Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. 
And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Let's stop there. Something that struck me as I was reading this is the audacity of this man. He is in a place of torment and he sees the man who sat at the end of his gate every day and begged for food and he still thinks he ought to be served by him in hell. The audacity and the pride, it just struck me. So you got to hear it. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all these, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that we may warn them lest they come into the place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Imagine the agony. We've already talked about Moses standing, looking into the promised land. Now imagine this man's agony and despair as he stands in the place of torment, able to see paradise. The paradise he had probably heard of. He knew who Abraham was. He was not unfamiliar. And he can see the poor man with Abraham in glory. And staring into that place, knowing he is in torment, and knowing there is no way out. There is no opportunity to go into that place now. Because life is over. Imagine what that has to feel like. To be in the very presence of rest. And never be able to enter it. But praise God, that is not where we end. Back in Hebrews 4, it says an invitation has been issued today. Today, do not harden your hearts. The words of Jesus ring out to me from he, uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew somewhere. He says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus calls out, come to me, and I will give you rest. But what is it that we're resting from? I hate to burst your bubble, but we're not resting from work. Work was part of the beautiful creation. Work was good. Work was intended. Adam and Eve, as uh, Todd has told us the last several weeks, they were put there to work. So we're not resting from work. I'd like to rest from work. But friends, there's work for us to do in heaven. So we're not resting from work. So what are we resting from? Resting from trying hard 
and working hard to win salvation based on ourselves. We have to rest from that because I hate to tell you, no matter how loyal you are to your employer, you cannot work good enough, you cannot work hard enough, you cannot work long enough to impress God into letting you into his rest. We read it already in Exodus. He is not willing to clear the guilty. Through him, there is forgiveness of sins. But apart from him, there is no rest and no peace. Don't harden your heart today. Verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What disobedience are we talking about? We're talking about the Israelites' disobedience, failing to listen, failing to heed, and failing to rest. Strive to enter so that we might not fall into that same disobedience. We need to do all that we can to make sure that we are not disobedient in the same way. We can't work well enough to earn our salvation. But we have a responsibility. We need to recognize what true rest is. Some of you here this morning have a halfway understanding of what rest is. Because when I give you the example of the promised land, what comes to mind for us? Heaven, right? So in in a lot of our minds, rest is heaven. And that's not entirely wrong. There is rest there. There is peace there. There is no torment there. But I present to you this morning, friends, that heaven is only the place where our rest is. But our rest is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our rest. So what about you who are here who have been in church all of your lives? Who Some of you haven't missed Sunday school since you were five years old. Some of you have sat in the same place, maybe not the same seat because those are gone, but in the same place your whole life. And you have sat under the teaching. You have been party to the blessings of God. You have seen the hand of God move. You are without excuse, and you ought not feel too confident. I told you this was rough. The passage in the very beginning of our reading says we ought to fear that we miss the rest. And we have a responsibility to do everything we can not to. Because the reality is some of you will miss the rest. It breaks my heart that you're here. You know the goodness of who the Lord is. But you refuse to believe. And you refuse to be transformed. 
Some of you can fool me. And some of you can fool all of us. But you cannot fool God. The Israelites are just like us. They had everything they needed to believe, and so do we. We have everything we need. But many of them failed to trust. And many of you, unfortunately, fail to trust. We have to be willing to allow Jesus Christ to penetrate deep within. Let's look back at that passage. We're required to allow the living, breathing gospel of Jesus Christ to penetrate every fiber of our being. Read verse 12. I have loved this verse for so long and I didn't understand it. Let's grasp this this morning. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Friends, your motives for everything you do is known to God. Why you give, why you help, why you serve, why you sing, why you preach, everything is visible to the eyes of God. And I say again, you cannot fool God. He knows if we are resting in him or not. And if we will admit to ourselves, we know whether we are resting in him or not. He can pierce our souls through the word and through the word who is flesh, Jesus. But if you sit here this morning as a real genuine believer, someone who has professed with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God resurrected him from that tomb, you are not off the hook. I know that's disappointing, but you're not off the hook because we have a responsibility. As Moses stood and looked into the promised land, he despaired because he was unable to enter into that rest. As the rich man stared into the paradise, knowing he would never enter into it, he despaired. I don't want you to be a believer that leaves here this morning despaired because you did not allow yourself to enter into the rest that God wants to provide for his children. God says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I ask you this morning, are you abiding in him? Are you resting in his promises? Are you standing upon the word that he has provided? Are you trusting in what he said he would do? When trouble comes, and it will, are you resting in him? Are you relying on his provision, not for money, provision of your soul and your well-being because God knows 
Are you trusting him and resting in him when there's plenty? Some of you have been blessed beyond measure, and I'm grateful for that. Do you trust him in your plenty? Are you resting in him? It's the same picture that I shared at the very beginning of Kate. As a child of God, when you know you're tired, are you climbing into his lap and allowing the peace and the comfort that he provides to encompass you and to rest? I dare say there's probably not many of us who could say that we are. Because the writers of Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is very clear. There's reason for fear. And if it were a small amount of people that should be afraid, I don't think he would say it that way. We ought to examine ourselves and to let the word of God examine us and split between the bone and the marrow to find out if we are resting in the Son of God or if you are resting on your own work. Recognize if you die resting in your own work, you will be in torment with this rich man forever. He made a statement that resounds with me. Let them hear Moses and the prophets. And he said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then not even someone coming back from the dead will convince them. The Israelites had Moses and the prophets. We have Moses and the prophets. And we have the Son of God who did come back from the dead. Will you trust him? Will you rest in him? But understand, like I said before, rest is not from works. James says, faith without works is dead. And elsewhere, it says to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Friends, we can trust Jesus at his word. We can trust him for the salvation of our souls. We can trust him for the provision of our lives. But we must rest in him. And I don't know what that looks like for you today. If you're willing to admit that you are apart from Christ, I urge you, today is when the invitation is available. Tragedy strikes. We hear it all the time. And we don't talk about it often in in this church, but the truth of the matter is we may all be taken out of here before the time's over. Christ may return, and the time is up. Today, do not harden your hearts to the Lord Jesus. Enter into him who is our rest. If you're the casual observer who has convinced everyone around you that you're a believer, check yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ to penetrate you and to change you from the inside. And if you're a believer who isn't resting in Jesus, it's time to repent. It's time to stop trying to impress God and those around you and rest and trust 
He knows what he is doing with your life. He will take care of you. That doesn't mean it's always pretty. It probably won't be. We only get out of here one way. We all get out of here through death. Life isn't going to be pretty, but God has promised that he is faithful. And he will allow us to enter into his rest through his son. I'm going to pray, and the band is going to come. I don't know if that message was for you, but I know it was hard-hitting for me. That I have a responsibility to trust the God who said he's good. And who promises to, to bring eternal rest in himself. So respond in the way that you... I don't even know if, if it's feel-led. Respond in the way you know that you should. Submit to Jesus Christ today. Staff is going to be down here to pray with you. We'll wait around afterwards. We're going to worship. Um, please don't forget to get your kids at the door. But let's just stand together. I mean, if you leave them here, we might auction them off at the next spring thing. Let's pray to God. Let's ask him. Father, we are so grateful and thankful that your word provides rest for our souls. That we can do nothing apart from you. That you have provided everything we need. God, I pray that you pierce the souls and the hearts of those who hear today, that they would not harden their hearts, that you would bring broken men and broken women to yourself. It's in your name we pray.